0: Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest, whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment, or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth. Together, we'll uncover the stories inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true.
1: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Sharing the Magic podcast, our little show is dedicated to all things Disney. Join us as we explore this magical world with some of the best guests. I'm your host, your ghost host, Barry. Our guest tonight is both a fellow Disney podcaster and an accomplished animator and author. We'll introduce him to you in a moment, so sit back for another candid conversation. But first, let's introduce our co-host joining us tonight we have everyone's favorite disney dad matt matt how you doing i'm doing great i am really excited for tonight's episode yeah it's going to be a good one next up we have the real lady divine lindsay lindsay how you doing tonight hey friends how's everybody doing tonight i um cannot wait to talk to david tonight and 28 more days until i go to disney
0: oh getting closer lindsay
1: i know it's under the 30 day mark and last, we have the original Goofy Dupe himself, Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing good, and I uh, like David. We were talking a little bit before how, when we have a special guest, I I just love to to welcome our guests in my my bestest Goofy voice I could. I can. So, oh gorge, oh, we got ourselves a special guest in this here house, David Bossart. Yeah. Oh, very nice to have you.
3: Hey man, it's it's great to be. I'm I'm stunned. I, I was waiting for more. I was waiting for the big finale. But um the it's great to be on your show, guys yeah. and gals. All right, David. So let's go ahead and
1: jump in uh to our conversation. Why don't you tell us about your love and how you fell in love with Disney and how um how how you were just overwhelmed by Disney? Because I, I think most Disney People are like that.
3: Yeah, I you know, I I think I'm sort of typical uh, uh, of a lot of the colleagues I I got to work with over the years. I I liked animation. I I grew up watching, um, um, you know, Popeye and uh, Betty Boop cartoons on television and Warner Brothers and Tom and Jerry and Disney. And uh, and, you know, I can remember at an early age seeing Pinocchio in a re-release in the theaters, and I was just absolutely blown away by the movie, and just enamored by the film, and the fact that it was handcrafted, uh, and uh, you know, and that kind of set me on a path of wanting to to be an artist in some way, shape, or form um and i kind of focused my efforts on that um in high school i did some stop motion um i did a lot of sculpture work um you know drawing and all of that i was fortunate i had a really great high school art teacher which i think is rare today because they've they've kind of decimated most of the art and music programs at a lot of high schools but i i was fortunate that i had a really an accomplished um artist uh for a teacher And, you know, he would have one man shows on Long Island at galleries and stuff like that. And so he really encouraged me uh, quite a bit and spent the extra time with me because he knew I was passionate about the art uh, and not just taking it as an easy uh, credit, you know, an elective or something for high school. And um, and and so when I graduated high school, I went to the State University of New York at Farmingdale. Uh, and they had a really great advertising art program, and I was going to go into advertising art, uh, and I wanted to do, like, animated commercials in New York. And um, and I took a TV graphics class in my third semester uh, at, in that program, and, and it was the first time I really made some 2D animation. And I just loved it. And around the same time, somebody handed me an article um, about Cal Arts training uh, artists and, Mm. uh, you know, so training the next generation Disney artists. And so I said, you know, what the hell? Yeah, I I boxed up my portfolio and I sent it UPS because this is like pre-computer days. There was no such thing as personal computers. Yeah. There was no internet, you know, uh, I couldn't set up a website to house my portfolio. Uh, so I, I I took this big black zip up portfolio <laughs> case and I, I created a box for it, taped yeah. the hell out of it and sent it UPS <laughs> out to Cal arts. And, um, and to my surprise, I actually I got accepted. They only accepted thirty students a year into the animation program, and I got accepted into the program. And I got a Walt Disney scholarship to go there. And um, and I just packed up a crappy Volkswagen Beetle that I had, and I drove from you know Long Island to Los yeah. Angeles, and and went to Cal Arts. And um, and, and I I you know it was interesting because the the other. Twenty-nine students in my freshman class of, of character animation at Cal Arts, you know, a lot of them were just, you know, hardcore Disney fans, you yeah. know, and they were all wanting to work at Disney and all of that. And every time somebody would ask me, you know, what, what are you going to do after you get out of school? I oh, I'm going back to New York. I'm going to get into advertising. I'm gonna do advertising commercials. And da 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 da. Right. And you know when i i graduated from cal arts i got a job r- offer right away from don bluth studios and i and i worked on two video games dragons lair and space ace which were these early animation uh uh, uh video games that that were based on a laser disc yeah you know? i think so, i used to
2: play space ace i've yeah. got to look this up i think
3: yeah so so I worked on both of those, and then you know that company you know Don Bluth went bankrupt yeah uh, like I think it was i i started working there in June of eighty three and it went bankrupt in i th- i want to say march of eighty four Okay. Because I, I, and I was kind of like, oh, OK, I guess I'll go back to New York. And then a friend of mine said, hey, they're working on the Black Cauldron over at Disney and they need some additional people in the effects department. And so I sent my book over there and, and Don Hahn hired me. Uh, and and I started working in the effects department on the Black cauldron. A- and I was a low level. I, I was like entry level in betweener position. and uh, and I just I worked overtime my first week and I worked six days a week for most of 1984. And <laughs> I started working seven days a week, you know, at the end of 84 and into 1985. And and you know, effects animation is the last stage of actual animation before it goes into what I refer to as the back end department. So it's like checking and, uh, uh, you know, ink and paint, final check and camera and all that. And um, and, and so uh, I was literally working on one of the last scenes mm. that was animated by Jeff Howard in that movie. and uh, And at the time they were handing out pink slips. They were laying people off. So, you know, the effects department had I was the last guy hired in. There was 28 of us and I figured last guy hired, first guy fired, you know. And I had I had really worked all this overtime to and I was bringing home some fat paychecks and I I just banked it all because I was working so much. I didn't have any time to spend the money. I was living down at the beach. I was living down in Marina del Rey uh, uh-huh. with a buddy from New York, uh-huh. and we were splitting this great place. It was like a stone's throw from the sand. And <laughs> and I just thought, you know, as soon as I get laid off, I'm just going to hang at the beach because it was like <laughs> like spring of 85. And I was going to I'll hang at the beach for a couple of months. I don't need to work. And then I'll head back to to new york and (laughs) and so they started laying people off long story short they they laid off 16 of the 28 in the department and i didn't get a pink slip so i went down to don hod's office one day and i said don can you let me let me know kind of when you're going to lay me off so I can just kind of plan ahead <laughs> and he looked at me and he said Dave he goes we're not laying you off he goes you've been working so hard we're keeping you yeah. and I was like what you know I think I did a take a tech Avery take where my jaw hit the floor and my eyes popped out you know and it was a honking horn and all of that you know but uh Yeah. So, you know, I I, they kept me on and they asked they asked me if I would uh, paint cells uh, to help get Black Cauldron finished. And I said, absolutely. I I didn't care what I did, but it was the best education I ever had um uh i was uh, i learned so much from all the talented folks in those back end departments because i got to see firsthand like the work that i had done that i was like in betweening i yeah. could see it going through the pipeline and you know go, getting into color and, and then being shot and everything so it was it was a tremendous education for me and then i got bumped up to effects animator on the next picture which was the great mouse detective oh, oh. (laughs) uh, you know and and, and formally formally known as basil of baker street but what had it it was originally called basil of baker street And what had happened was steven spielberg came out with a movie called young sherlock holmes and it didn't really do well at the box Mm -hmm. office and um and so disney went right into this mode of oh we can't we can't have a reference to sherlock holmes and so they uh uh, they they went about. You know trying to figure out how to change the name of it and so it went from basil at baker street which by the way i still have a coffee mug from oh, um uh, with cool. the with the original logo on it uh, oh, oh, oh. but but they changed it to the great mouse detective and then and then somebody in in the animation department hijacked a jeffrey katzenberg memo the 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 letterhead top part of yeah. it that had jeffrey's name and and put a bogus memo together that said you know <laughs> change the uh, basil at baker street to the great mouse Tech, the, the following films were, are also going to have their names changed snow white will now be the the the, the, the girl and the seven little men and you know pinocchio will be the wooden boy who wanted to be real and you know it just went and then we got to the aristocats it was like aristocats will um, still be called the aristocats you know? <laughs> it, 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 yeah it, 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 it was it, yeah it was just oh, comical you know so so you know i worked on great mouse detective and uh you know and it was kind of a tenuous time because you know uh during black cauldron you know michael eisner frank wells and jeffrey katzenberg came into the company as the new management team and um and they immediately wanted to shut animation down and it was roy e disney who said no 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 you can't do that he roy told michael if animation was well the whole company will do well and 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 they decided to move us all off the out of the animation building because they wanted to make room for all these live action people. They moved us from the animation building on the studio lot in Burbank to just like this one story warehouse building, uh, in Glendale across from the Imagineering facility. And that's really like you know, there was like 120 of us left at that point, you know, after Black Cauldron, and um. You know, it was amazing because of fourteen twenty Flower Street. You know, we we wound up working on some incredible films. Aside from Great Mouse Detective, you know, we did The Little Mermaid. We did, uh, you know, Rescuers Down Under. We did Beauty it. and the Beast. We did Aladdin. And and by the by the time you know we were doing Beauty and the Beast, they had expanded from this one. Warehouse building to like two or three warehouse buildings because they they were hiring more people. And, you know, I don't think we knew it at the time. But looking back, we were we were at the beginning of the renaissance of Disney animation. Yeah. And And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I finished great mouse detective and as we were getting close to the finish, I thought, Oh, okay, this is when I get laid off. And <laughs> uh, and then I'll go back to New York. And, and, <laughs> and then, and, and they didn't lay me off and I yeah. went on to the next picture and I thought, okay, well, I'll give it this picture and then I'll go back to New York. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it was after like the fifth picture I did at the studio that I figured I was just sticking around in Los Angeles <laughs> yeah. and not going back to New York to work on commercials. and, <laughs> And then in the 1990s, I actually wound up doing a ton. of I, I did like a hundred freelance commercials. You know, I did. I did special effects work on everything you can imagine, from uh, Tony the Tiger to oh. Toucan Sam to the Rice Krispie nice. characters. Uh, the the Seven Up uh, characters, the Keebler elves. Uh, I mean, it was it, the list goes on and on. I just did so many commercials in the 1990s as freelance. It was crazy. I I actually could walk out in my backyard and go, oh yeah, the pool. That was a couple of Frosted Flakes commercials. <laughs> those those palm trees, that cluster of palm trees. Yeah, that was yeah, that was the Keebler elves commercials. And, you know, so.
2: <laughs> Boy, if I if we if I could just watch all the commercials like get together
3: like a montage of no, I, I, and, and you know seriously there there's so many of them it, it's amazing I was doing one after another it, and, and you know there were there were weeks where I I would do I would work on a weekend and make more than I was making during the week at the studio you know oh, just doing right. these you know just freelancing on all these different commercials and I work for a lot of great people oh, yeah. that were you know that were directing those commercials and producing those commercials and stuff. Like a lot of people that are gone now, but yeah. it it was really a, a you know again another big learning experience for me by doing that because I kind of kept my foot outside the studio and yeah. you know I got to meet a lot of really talented artists that didn't work at Disney and you know that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. But you know, like I said, you know after after like five pictures at the studio, I I just figured well I'm I'm sticking. Around, then I wound up sticking around for almost thirty three years. So, That's awesome
2: yeah, it I will a lot say, of fun. like one of the things that I do, if I can't sleep at night, I just watch commercials from the nineties.
1: It's <laughs> <There you laughs> a great decade you know, for him. Yeah. But I,
2: I would, boy, my gosh, like I don't know, maybe I do get starstruck easy. I don't know. You, you all, <laughs> Matt and Barry, can tell me, but I'll, I'll tell you what: the minute you drop the name Great Mouse Detective, I'm like, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm starstruck now. So it's, yeah, no, I, had gra- gonna... I had a great I had a
3: great pick, I had a great time working on that and that w- it was the first film that uh John Musker and Ron Clemens directed. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. uh and they obviously went on to do a string of very memorable films, you know, The Little yeah. Mermaid and oh, Aladdin, yeah. Yeah. uh Hercules, child, uh gosh. they did Treasure Planet. And by the way, Treasure Planet to me is a very underrated film. Oh, I think it, it got ca- caught up in some politics at the studio and mm-hmm. wasn't supported the way it should have been. Yeah. Uh, supported 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 but it's really a terrific film and really cool animation yeah Absolutely. Like really cool and yeah. different looking. You know, I mean, that was that was in that period where there was just more and more CG being inserted into these hand-drawn movies. So, you know, you had John Silver who had these, like, CG elements that worked with his, uh, his, his 2D animation. So I, I think it was an exciting time. And I think that's, you know, again, I think it's an underrated movie. And I also think Black Cauldron's an underrated movie, mm. you know. I mean, I Black agree. Cauldron has a lot of story problems, but it's also... I think probably the last film uh, that that kind of had the look and feel of uh, of the the old school Disney, you yeah. know, um, just from an art direction standpoint. Anyway, so. yeah, and the and the word that it pops in my head when I think of the
2: Black Cauldron is prolific. It was a prolific yeah. movie. It really was. Yeah,
3: yeah. I you know I just think there there were story and direction issues on it, uh, but it, it's still a movie that. I, I, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, I had arranged a couple of screenings of the black cauldron internally. And whenever I did it, and I think I did it two, I think I did it twice. It was a couple of years apart. Anytime I did it, it was standing room only in the studio theater. And, you know, there's a couple hundred seats. So there were people yeah. sitting in the aisles and standing yeah. in the back to watch yeah. it. It was just, you know, it was amazing.
2: Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm always a fan of any movie that kind of pushes the boundaries and the black yeah. cauldron, you know, I, I think some, some of the best movies that I've ever seen are like, yeah, they're, they're deeply intense movies, mm-hmm. but then they're, they're whimsical too. Like they have that sense of magic to them. And I think the black Cauldron's probably just a great example of, you know, it was so intense. They cut out some parts. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. but, but that intensity, I mean, I don't so I don't know. I don't know if it would be better or for worse if you kept that the, all the parts in. It. Yeah, I don't
3: know. I, I mean, I but, think the movie. I think the movie was a little bit of a departure. It was the first PG animated film that the mm. studio put out, uh, yeah. and you know, I think there there was a dark side to the to the film. I like uh, that. I like yeah. the dark side. No, you know? I, I I mean, I think I think those kinds of things resonate today. You know, I, look, I, uh, yeah. This past Friday night, I was at the El Capitan for a screening of the. Uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, that's a, and, that's a great example, you know, and, and that was that. a movie when when we finished, the, you know, when that movie was finished, and I did a very little part of that. I mean, I, I have a screen credit as a snow animator. Uh, and helped make it <laughs> sn- snow in Halloween town. Uh, cool. But, um, you know, when that movie was finished they didn't know what to do with it they they just didn't know how to market it they didn't even want to put mm-hmm. the Disney name on it they put the Touchstone name yep. on it they thought it was yep. going to mm-hmm. be too scary and too dark for their core audience right. and, and, it, and it turned out to be completely the opposite to the point where a few years back they took Touchstone off and they slapped Disney on so now it's Disney Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's uh, it holds up so well and the kids that saw it in 93 when it came out they're now taking their kids to see it Yeah, you know and my son was just singing the songs
0: in the car ride home today (laughs) absolutely Yeah. yeah you know he's six years old and he loves
3: it yeah so uh you know it's uh you know these films uh resonate and sometimes it just takes a little time for them to resonate uh, you know, with people, so, um, but you know, certainly Nightmare Before Christmas, which by the way, I wrote a new book, uh, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas Visual Companion from yes. Disney Editions. And that, that book is, uh, is a complete, uh, behind the scenes of how the film got made, uh, department by department in sort of the production timeline, uh, and, um, you know, I, I'm I'm super proud of it, and this year's the 30th anniversary of the film, and it seems like every year there's even more merchandise, and there's yeah, just right. more. Yep. You know, there, there's more of a fan base. It's like the fan base just keeps growing year to year, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's definitely and you,
3: one of those movies that has hit that cult classic status. Absolutely, gonna, right. Well, see, I see. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because it's yeah. not a cult classic. It, it might have been a cult film in the 90s. Yeah. after it was released it is a bonafide holiday classic yes See, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, put, yeah, I put i yes, put i put nightmare before christmas with the chuck jones grinch who stole christmas mm-hmm. uh charlie brown christmas special okay, the so rack of the bass you,
0: yeah. i was going to ask you is it a yeah. halloween movie or a christmas movie because no, I, I like both it's both
1: you watch it in halloween. between uh, yeah, yeah. But I, well, I, I t- like the Christmas part of it. I'm, I, like, I'm the-
3: gonna, I'm gonna just say to me, it's a kick off of the holiday season. So yeah. when mm-hmm. I saw it Friday night, uh, you know, I and and by the way, I went down to the El Cap. I was on stage with Don Hahn, We did a little pre-show to talk about the movie. Then they ran Skeleton Dance, and then uh, <laughs> uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And right afterwards, I did a uh, book signing in the theater. And and I, I'm gonna tell you, every time I see this movie it's the beginning of the holidays for yeah. me you're right and so friday night the holiday season has been kicked <laughs> off you know so. <laughs> that is a
2: great way to say it
3: I yeah think. i a mean great okay way to so say you,
2: you
0: wrote a, we got i guess i guess jump into this part a little bit since you brought it up you, you wrote a book you did a little bit of the work on it did, what's your favorite part of the movie because i feel like everybody has something it's either they they connect with like the character of Jack or Sally or they just like the animation or they like to like it's so different from a lot of the other st- stories and things that even you know you're saying it's kicking off the holiday season you don't get yeah. stories like that for this time
3: of year so like, what is it about that story? I, I, I really like Act Three. I like the ending of the whole movie. You know, yeah. the the climax of 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 Jack becoming, you know, Santa Claus and and sort of taking over because you know he's trying to find something new uh, and he's not sure of who he is. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. They're trying to figure out who they are. Uh, and, and sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not, but, but that whole end section, when he comes to realize that he's the pumpkin King and mm-hmm. that they they have a role, you know, and, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I love the whole film. Um, the, the writing of the book to me was fascinating because I got to spend time, you know, I interviewed Tim, uh, I spent time with Henry Selleck, the director, I spent a whole day with him actually recording interviews with him. And, and he was just incredible. And I think a lot of people have to understand the movie was directed by Henry Uh, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people out there that think it's Tim, Tim directed Nightmare Before Christmas, but he didn't, you know, Tim produced it and it was Tim's idea, but Henry's the guy that put it on uh, up on the screen for us, you know? And, uh, and the other, the other aspect of it is that, um, it's just this beautifully handcrafted film. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and from from the songs, which, you know, I spent I spent time with Danny Alfman interviewing him about each of the songs oh. and what his what his creative process was, was thought process was on each of those songs and how they came about. And uh, and then, you know, interviewing all the talented animators, there's only about a dozen core animators that worked on that movie, including one. Female animator, Angie Glocka, she was the only woman who was a stop motion animator at the time uh and, and and you know talking to the people that did you know sets and uh puppet fabrication and camera and lighting and stuff like that uh i i mean one of my favorite chapters in the book is puppet puppet fabrication i just mm. i just f- find the whole process just you know really fascinating and and it yeah. goes back to my roots of doing sculpture work and stuff so uh yeah, it, it's uh this new book is as thorough as it's going to get on how this movie got put together. I can't wait to read it. I'm gonna, know. I'm gonna go know. buy it. I'm go it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I it's
2: gonna this is uh, it sounds right up my alley because I just I'm so fascinated by by your Still, experience and
1: yeah all that. So, so awesome. Dave, let let me ask you um when you did work on um the Nightmare Before Christmas, there was also you know, other movies made that same way that came out during that time, like Coraline, and also you know, like James and the Giant Peach. What um, was that? Was that a big push of that that style of movies that were coming out at the time, or was it?
3: I, I I don't know if I would say it was a big push. I think the only reason why Nightmare Before Christmas got done was because Tim wanted to make it, and Jeffrey wanted to be in the Tim Burton business at the time because you know uh-huh. Tim had. Tim had been fired from Disney years before, and he went, he went off. He got uh, his first feature was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yeah. Then then he did Beetlejuice. Then he did Mm -hmm. Edward Scissorhands. And it was kind of cementing that sort of Burton-esque style uh, in filmmaking, you know. And um, after he did... Um, Edward Scissorhands he got the first Batman at Warner Brothers that was a huge hit And, and then he signed to do Batman Returns and at that moment he was like the hottest director in Hollywood and so he wanted to do Nightmare Before Christmas because it was something that really stuck with him when he had written the poem and did the character designs and he really wanted to make this movie. And so he, you know, he reached out to the studio and the studio said, well, we own it. And, uh, but we'll, we would we'll love to do it with you. And that's really how this movie got made. It, it, they didn't really care about this film, guys. It, it was just, um, they, they didn't care about it f- from the standpoint that it was just a small movie to them. You know, it was a $25 million budget. It, it was, you know, uh, they weren't risking a lot, but they were getting Tim Burton so they could maybe do a live action uh, movie or two with him. And um uh, and that's why this movie's so successful. It had little oversight from the studio. It was made up in San Francisco with an incredibly talented group of artists, and um, and you know uh, I think when that film finished, that they wanted to roll on to doing James and the Giant Peach, which Henry directed, and then I think their their sort of uh, passion, the studio's passion for doing lo- uh, stop motion. You know, it was kind of petering out because they didn't know what to do with Nightmare. And when Nightmare was released, it didn't get the support it needed. And, you know, they pulled a lot of stuff because it didn't have a big opening weekend. And, you know, uh, there there was a lot of cross-currents going on, but James and the Giant Peach was already in production, so they finished that, and then they didn't really yeah. do any more after that. You know, Henry yeah. went off and did Coraline after that, mm-hmm. but he did Coraline at Leica Studios up in Portland with uh, Travis Knight, so, you know, it's... It, you know, it's it's an interesting business because yeah. you know if anybody were to look at Nightmare Before Christmas and judge it on its opening release, it, it was kind of a soft release because they didn't really know how to market it. Uh, yeah. But you look at look at how popular that film is and how much money that film has generated, not only in DVD back VHS DVD. Um, all these special screenings they do, the concerts, the you know, the Hollywood Bowl live concerts uh, that they've been doing every year. Um, you know, like I said, the merchandising is off the charts. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, the overlay they do on the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, it, yeah. There's just so much uh, right. out there that, you know, if, if anybody's wondering what the secret sauce of this movie was, <laughs> is that it was made by a group of artists who had a vision, Henry's vision of what he wanted to do with Tim's poem and Tim's characters. And, you know, um, uh, if they had supported it, it would have done better. Uh, than it did. Uh, but you know again, it, it it's it's one of those things that you know don't don't crush the creative process by overmanaging it is mm-hmm. is the moral of the story. you mm-hmm. know so absolutely. So so I kind of I kind of have a question off that.
2: It's like if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and just have all the creative freedom, you know i mean we're a disney podcast so maybe within disney you don't it doesn't have to be within disney what would be the project that would just bring joy to you
3: oh i mean for me it would have been doing a third fantasia movie which is oh, in which was yeah. in the planning while while roy disney was still alive right. uh but but i think that died uh, when he passed away okay. and you know i i you know i don't i i don't sort of live in a world of looking back and say what I should have wish I did yeah. or any of that stuff I'm always looking forward and just wanting to you know what's my next project what, what are the things that I want to do that that I'm right. passionate about but you know look you're a Disney podcast and you know I, and I've talked about this on my podcast the Skull Rock podcast with Al John, and I give everybody you know everybody that I'm on their show I give you guys a plug on our show yeah. uh, which I'll be doing uh <laughs> the week after next all because right we've, ar- we've already recorded tomorrow's show yeah. uh but but the uh you know the 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 thing that's happening that you know they're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the company yes, yes. Uh, and i don't know when this is dropping but um you know october 16th is the 100th anniversary it and is. i i don't think that there's been any kind of critical mass from from disney on no. trying to celebrate the 100th i think yeah. the I, I was talking with somebody we said the year of a million dreams uh, yeah. a number of years back was was, was like this critical mass yeah. synergy thing that yeah. just everybody knew about, and right. nobody knows about this hundredth yeah. anniversary as well. I I think what happened was earlier this year when they uh, well, first off the pandemic hit, right? Yeah, because to the company's credit, they started planning the hundredth anniversary five years ago, right? Then you had Bob. Uh, Iger uh, stepped down, turned the the reins over to Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek mm-hmm. flamed out after a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. Bob comes back the the pandemic <laughs> the pandemic hit. They furloughed people. They laid off people. When they yeah. started reopening, they didn't bring back people that they probably <laughs> yeah. should have. Yeah. And then they did another round of seven thousand people being laid off earlier this year. And I think a lot of stuff probably just fell through the cracks because. When you go through those kinds of convulsions over a number of years and let that many people go, I I think that you wind up not only erasing some of the corporate memory, um, but you've demoralized your troops. Yeah. And uh, and I and I think that there there is a morale issue at the company now. Yeah. Uh, some sure. people aren't, don't want to admit that, but but it's I think it's there. Yeah. And uh, and I think they could have done a hell of a lot better with this hundredth anniversary, a hell of a lot better. Yeah. And they they just really haven't. So, know. you know, my my feeling is, is that when when a company like Disney, a creative company whose founder, you know, was, you know, 40 or so years uh, uh, he was around and his brother was around longer to see through some of the visions like, you know, or uh, uh, Walt Disney world in Florida and Epcot and, yeah. you know, Cal arts and things like that. I, I think what's happened, Happened in the last couple decades is it's just become this corporation. Yes. This, yes. This faceless corporation. I know. that is just hell bent on taking as much money from the fans as it possibly can. And yeah. I, I, and, and frankly, I'm going to yeah. say you, you have to have realized this. You yeah. have to have seen the fact that people like hardcore fans that I know yeah. that you probably know are starting to sort of step back and go, what the hell? Yeah. yeah,
2: that's sort of why we're doing this podcast, to be honest. Yeah. And, and and here's why is because, you know, there when we're not we always joke around, like we're not, we're not shills for Disney, but right. boy, do we love the opposite of love? Isn't hate, it's indifference. Yeah. And boy, we don't hate I mean, yeah, we get a little mad, but we're not indifferent to Disney at all. And and you know, we 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 meet on the podcast, we share stories, and and we try to be positive because we can sit here and just all day long talk about how disney this or and and but what we love to do is to interview guests like you and and celebrate we don't like to just harp like harp on the bad things what we'd love to do is celebrate people and the
3: stories and the good things of disney is what yeah, we do. And, and, and you know the thing I the thing I'll say is that Al John and I do the same thing on our podcast yeah you know we heap praise where it's deserved yeah. but we're also critical where it's deserved and and you okay. know yes. And, yes. And, yeah. and and you know from that's the key from, it's where from it's from deserved my, yeah and yeah. and from from my perspective you know there there's a lot of great things about this company about the Walt Disney Company I yeah. love the history of the Walt Disney yes. Company yes. and how a lot of these things came to be and how things. Things were and aren't anymore, and you know, attractions that were short-lived or attractions that were long-lived, but they decide to take out, and all of those kinds of things. I find the history incredibly fascinating, but yeah. I also I also kind of am frustrated by some of the things I see today. Absolutely. Because again, it's uh, you know, they they've lost so much corporate memory over the last yeah. 15, oh, yeah. 15 years or so, uh yeah. that You know, it's it's you know, there are things happening that they don't understand anymore. I was talking to Al John earlier today about uh, some of the new restorations coming out Mm -hmm. And, and and it's become very evident to me with some of those restorations that there are people that don't understand the uh, the Disney animation process. And when I talk about process, I'm talking about the filming process, okay. right? Because the early films, you know, like they're coming out with the Snow White restoration tomorrow. Well, the, those films were shot on successive exposure film, uh, and it's a black and white film that you take three color records, but they are three black and white color records yeah. of each frame. Right. right. And and each one of those black and white frames is put through a particular color filter. Right. And that's the tech to color process uh, to some degree. But you are essentially using this SE film stock that picks up contrast and picks up saturation. So the artist painted the artwork for what it would look like on the film not what it would look like if you just look at the background, yeah. right? And so I'm hearing reports that people were looking at the backgrounds in, in the animation research library and then trying to match what they were looking at on these things and then injecting their own particular uh, view of the world. Yeah, And and, and I think that's wrong because do they think. don't really fully understand the process no. and, and what those backgrounds translated to once they were shot in se because they picked up contrast they picked up saturation and 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 what the artistic intent was so you know you have the that kind of stuff happening now which is just you know i mean (laughs) the the cinderella uh uh restoration's a disaster it's Mm -hmm. too bright if you've seen the new version it's way too bright and it's it's somebody else's version of what they want yeah. the film to look like right. but it's not what the artists who made the movie wanted that film That's to right. look like and what i was gonna say there's a hubris to
2: that right so like yeah. there's a hubris so yeah. you know you get there and and you there's a presupposition and the presupposition is i'm better than this person and i in my time and space and history well i i don't i don't care about what they're doing or or their perspective or their worldview or or how they did art because you know th- this is the dark side to progressivism sometimes is that we always think that time whether you're an artist or whatever it is it moves in this linear fashion in which because I'm at this place in history I can always look back and judge and and feel good about myself in a, a very egotistical way that, what i do because i live in a in a in this time is better than what happened before me and i think that is wrong i think you know you should look back in um time space history of you know we we do that with disney you know we look back at walt sometimes and and yeah walt was a product of his time and all those things and that's fine but we look back not In a place of of hubris But we look back in a place of What can we actually learn from the past What can we learn And art is the same way I feel
3: Yeah. No and I I agree with you I mean look I was involved in some Restorations in the early 2000s And we had the ability To bring in original filmmakers You know Frank Thomas Ollie Johnson uh, Tyrus Wong when we were working on Bambi You know and so you're getting The filmmakers input Uh, which to me, once that was done, there's no reason to go back into those films again Uh, And try and do something more just because somebody says, oh, I want Cinderella to be brighter doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. Or I want Cinderella's hair to be, you know, blonder Uh, that that's, you know, the the wrong approach. I think that's a very selfish approach by an individual or two, uh, as opposed to actually respecting what the original filmmakers and what their intent was. Yes, you know yeah so well, well that, said well said. That, that that that's my my view of the world uh for yeah. for you know what it's worth you know
2: yeah but i think that's well said it's just well yeah. said i mean it's it's true it's true and uh, that's something i think i mean you kind of address the elephant in the room with disney is is that you know although we are fans and we we we, we don't shy away from that boy oh my oh, gosh, oh my god oh my gosh. <laughs> we we there are t- there are things that we just oh my like wh- what what is going on you know
0: because- i would just like to see them if they're going to look back right and i would like to see them use their resources and time to give us i think what more fans are looking for like you mentioned the celebrations right like the 100th and, and when the 50th happened here in disney world yeah a lot of people which, were like, which
3: wasn't great either
0: right right and yeah. I, I, you know that's a whole other thing i feel like they right. just kind of blended together so it doesn't even yeah. feel any different yeah. but a lot of people were saying like where's walt where's roy where's yeah. the history like why aren't they they linking it to that i would have love, loved to see more of that like that call back that yeah respect, yeah There that, were, there were... the past 50 years of the, the past 100 years but instead yeah. like yeah. you said there seemed to be focusing on hey let's go back and look at this film and just change it for the
3: sake of changing it almost and, and I was going to say, you know, part part of that I think is that you know they're they're trying to say, oh look, we did a new restoration, so they're trying to get all the fans to buy another copy of the d- right. you know of the DVD right. as if it's supposedly better. Uh, and I would say it's not, you know. Yeah. And I would say that if you have a, a Blu-ray of it already, that's probably as good as you need, you know. Uh, but you know, there there's 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 an interesting philosophy that i have because having talked with a lot of the old timers and especially in the parks area because i knew claude coates i wrote a book about claude coates you know those guys were totally fine with changing stuff Mm -hmm. you know it's all part of you know Walt's philosophy of disneyland which i think should permeate through all the parks is it was never finished it was always evolving and changing mm-hmm, and right. and i think when you have key rides like pirates and haunted mansion i think it's fine to go in and refresh those rides mm-hmm. to clean them up to add some new technology into those rides yeah. to you know without without fundamentally changing them yeah, you, you keep know what the I mean? values but, in the core but,
0: idea but, you
3: know they they were doing a uh, a refresh of um Uh, a small world in uh, in Disneyland Anaheim. And, uh, you know, there was all these people, all these fans were getting upset because some of the dolls were going to be changed out and there was going to be new dolls put into the (laughs) dioramas. And Alice Davis, who did the original attraction, said, shut up. You know, we're making we're making these changes, you know, it's like get over it, you know. And 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 I think I think that's right. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, there are some people out there who don't want anything to change at all. And that to me is wrong, because if you weren't if you weren't going to change anything, it's a not what the parks are about. But B, it becomes stale real quick. Yeah, you know, so there's stuff that has to be pulled out. There's stuff that has to be refreshed, right? Uh, and uh, and there needs to be new stuff added on a regular basis. Ooh, and and, yeah. and I think they're damn good about doing that kind yeah. of stuff. And I don't always agree with everything. You know, I mean, when they made some changes to Pirates of the Caribbean, I was like, I rolled my yeah. eyes. Okay, <laughs> you took the, the wench <laughs> auction out. Yeah, you know, it's not going to kill my feeling for you know no. that I I love that ride. But it's sort of like I roll my eyes and go. It's like the PC police are doing something ah, yeah. here, mm. you know, sure. and and they're trying to rewrite history. But you know what? Uh, it still doesn't mean I'm not going to go on the ride. You know, right, I'm right. going to go on that right. attraction anytime I get a chance to go yeah. on that attraction, you know. So well, but yeah. but but I do feel like, you know, there is there there's something missing. And I, I actually said at one point they should have a conscience officer. A yeah. Chief, <laughs> chief conscience officer. And you know what? When when Roy Disney was alive, uh, he was kind of that that person. He was he was the chief conscience officer and, and 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 you know was very um uh very much diplomatic and uh wise about you know sort of steering them away from certain things. Yeah, you know. So, so we're we're you, talking about the future him. here, and uh I have to say, so I've I've
2: we're talking about the future, and the book that I really want to read is another one that you're coming out with.
3: It's called "The House of the Future." <laughs> the house of the, exactly. the house of the future. Yeah, the house of the future. Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto. Vision just, what of a, what tomorrow. A, what a
2: segue. I'm like, tell, yeah. tell, Dave, tell
3: I, us about that this is this is the house of the future. And right. and okay. and this is this is a stylized sort of like vintage ride poster yeah. kind of. Uh, I know it's beautiful. Image, I love you know. Those, yeah. And, and, and by the way, it's a piece of fan art. I I I when I was researching the book, I stumbled across it. I reached out to the artist uh, who lives in Pennsylvania, Andy. And I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. I don't, you know, I, I just said, Hey, I really like this. I'm writing a book on the house of the future. Yeah. I said, can I license it from you? And he was like, Oh yeah, I, I that'd be great. I I've never done that before. And I, you know, I said, well, look, you know, I, I've done it with other artists and you know, here, here's what I would pay you, but you'll keep the copyright and all that. And he's like, okay. And I said, I'll send you the check <laughs> and the paper paperwork. And he signed it and everything. But it was wow. like months later that I kind of found out that he's like a high school kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And and he was like, he he said, yeah, I, I really appreciate you encouraging me to go into art and pursue my art. <laughs> Aww, and all this stuff. So, yeah, and so I just cool. thought to myself, wow, that's awesome. You know, yeah, it was yeah. uh, he's a very talented guy. Uh, so uh, that's how the cover came about on the uh, on the, the awesome. book. Yeah,
2: it's a beautiful cover. I just ordered it on Amazon.
3: I just, oh, just, I, I just I would it. Wait a second. I was just gonna give you a a, a discount code. Oh if you, you, so... and you could have gotten a signed copy for less. Oh no,
2: I gotta get a signed oh, oh, That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. too late. I'll, do I'll be doing I'll, that. the other your okay. other book though.
3: I will <laughs> yeah, no, no. Listen, guys, if you go to the old mill okay. the old mill we'll Put it in the link. And and then use for the friend. code Friend5. Friend. f-r-i-e-n-d all caps okay. five okay. you get five bucks off oh, oh there you go and free shipping man i just oh, lost Come on. <laughs> that's know?
2: okay that's okay anyway yeah. i can and
3: support- the book will be packaged properly and it won't get the crap kicked out of it like most amazon <laughs> books <course>. do <laughs> what happened to this package there you
2: oh, go man it's all beat to hell
3: there you go but anyway i you know look i never had a chance to see the house of the future at disneyland it was only there from 1957 to 1967 and because i grew up on the east coast i actually had been to disney world a couple times in the in the late 1970s as a kid uh before i ever went to disneyland uh i didn't get to disneyland until 1980 the 25th anniversary of the park so you know for me it was an attraction i i I always loved the design of it Uh, uh, it, I you know the little bits and pieces and photos that I saw of it I I was always you know enamored by and uh, and so I just decided you know what I I'm writing books and I I'm I'm sort of picking and choosing the topics I want to write about and I decided a couple of years ago I want to write a book on the house of the future because there was nothing ever written about it in right. depth you yeah. know there was there was little things that were you know a half dozen or ten paragraphs on mm-hmm. it and you know and and the one thing about a lot of the is they got uh there was a a a well-known picture uh that everybody said was uh hamilton and goody the architects Mm. and i'm and i'm opening my book to to show you the picture because you'll recognize this picture right away oh you see this picture of the two guys
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: So if you ever see it associated with an article on the House of the Future,
2: oh man, it,
3: it it will say that that the guy standing is Marvin Goody and the guy <laughs> sitting is Richard Hamilton, but it's not. This is Richard Hamilton. The guy, the guy. <laughs> no, seriously, the guy seated is Robert Whittier, who is the the project oh, is- engineer.
2: Ah, oh, right. I don't even know who that is. Okay. So he's the cool. project Learning.
3: engineer. That's uh, Marvin Goody, the architect. And this is Richard Hamilton, the other architect. <laughs> These two guys, right here, the guy standing and this guy, are okay. the ones who designed the house of the future. But I'll tell you right now, there's a ton of photos and reference out there where it, it it's got that photograph mislabeled. Guy. So anyway, I my point being is I done I did a deep dive and tried yeah. to find out as much information as I could and then put it into a book that allowed you to take a tour of the house of the future in the same uh the same tour that you would if you walk through the house. Oh, yeah. that's cool, so, okay. So after I give the uh, sort of prologue of how the house got developed and the construction and everything, then there's a tour map and you take the tour just like you would if you were at Disneyland walking through the house. Each chapter spotlights one room that you would see. And then the next chapter is the next room in the tour. So uh, cool. that that's how I put the book together. And it's getting a great reception. I mean, a lot of people are, are saying I've got a lot of great notes uh, from people uh, about it. And, uh, and, you know, and it's a book that is not only, you know, has a Disney flavor to it, but also uh, and, and funny thing. Speaking of of Disney and Walt. I'll show you another picture. I was just at Walt's barn uh, earlier today, and I saw Walt's granddaughter, wow. Joanna. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. She was there, and I showed her this picture of her grandfather, and oh. she said she had never seen this picture before. Oh, it's, wow. It's Walt testing out the flying saucer <laughs> attraction that they put in at Disneyland, but this is like in some warehouse facility that made this attraction, you know. Wow! And uh, and so she absolutely loved it. But oh, the I book it itself too. is is just profusely illustrated. Yeah, I'm just gonna flip. I can't it wait. Quickly. I can't uh, wait. There, no. there, I'm so happy just, to
2: buy it. <laughs> there, there's
3: just tons of information in here, you know, oh. and tons of photos. It, it's just absolutely um uh, a deep dive on one attraction you oh, know and and, and and honestly they could do it on they could do a book you know i know somebody's done something on house of uh, the haunted mansion but i don't think it's as deep a dive as it should be and i think you could do the same on uh yeah. pirates and you yeah, could do but that, you could but do that, one on the carousel of progress yeah and, you oh. know all of that but i
2: think those are different And the house uh you know The future, the future is something like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So like a haunted mansion, the pirates thing, but this is the future, you know? And what makes, I think this set up like set apart is, you know, okay. It's the, there's a, there's a funness to like watching the, okay. The view of the future and thinking, okay, what lived, what things did they miss? What things did they you know, I don't. I still don't have a hoverboard. Like, I don't know if that. I mean, that's not in it. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, you
3: know something though. If you look at the design, there still hasn't been anything really like it. And I think the right, design right. of the house actually holds up. I, yeah. I look oh, at yeah. it. I, yeah. I look at it as it would be a wonderful, uh, like weekend place. You know, uh, up in the mountains or out by the uh, out at the coast, you know the footprint is only sixteen by sixteen, and the rest of the house is hanging off that core. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I I think when you look at the interior, the kitchen, the Adams for Living kitchen, was probably the most futuristic thing when the house opened in 1957, because it was so different from what a 1957 uh, house kitchen kitchen would look like. Yeah. No.
2: And I think that's what I was trying to say is like, you know, the haunted mansion. Okay. These things are timeless, but what makes your book super interesting to me personally, is that you're you tackle something that isn't timeless But yet it is, there are specific parts of, of what they envision, which you're like, boy, that is very, very, uh, fun that it like some of these designs, some of these ideas spans the test of time and i yeah, think yeah and,
3: and you know the you know Monsanto never intended to manufacture this home what they wanted to do they funded the research project at MIT uh the school of architecture and engineering what they wanted was they wanted to see you know, could you design a house that was completely different from houses that were being built out in the day with two mm-hmm. by fours as boxes essentially? Mm-hmm. Uh, could you redesign the house and use this miracle material of the day—plastics, you know, <laughs> fiberglass, you know, yeah. epoxy resins and things yeah. like that? Could you use that material to create curvilinear structural pieces in home building? And that's really what they were trying to do. And they brought on a lot of part- partner companies to be able to put some of what they thought the future was for their products. So you had bell systems, you know, putting in a video phone and the video phone didn't even work. Right. (laughs) But, but they, but what they were doing was they were saying, you know, in the future, you'd be able to see your butcher as you picked out cuts of meat, you know, (laughs) over the phone, you know, and, uh, and they had you know an air conditioning system that you could pump scent into the house so you could put rose scent or a, pine scent into the house if you wanted to sounds and, perfect. Uh, you know and then there was all of these you know man-made fibers uh, that you know wore better than natural fibers you know so yeah. Acrolon rugs and curtains and polyester foams and things like wow. that these were all you know like futuristic and you know like cutting edge materials for building and um, you know I I find it really fascinating because out of that house came the use of safety glass yeah uh, in home building uh, and cars Uh, they uh, the fiberglass shower tub enclosures that so many people have in their homes Uh, that that was a uh, you know an outgrowth of crane Uh, creating the, this fiberglass molded bathroom, Uh, you know, so instead of doing the whole bathroom with the toilet and the sinks and everything molded into it, it it boiled down to a a fiberglass uh, molded tub and shower enclosure that, you know, is ubiquitous in, you know, track homes today. Uh, And, you know, uh, there, there's just, you know, so many other things that, you know, got projected out of uh, that house of the future. And the only reason why they took it out of Disneyland was because Monsanto had been sponsoring the house, uh, the hall of chemistry and they took the hall of chemistry out and put adventure through inner space in. And uh, and they had this house of the future they were paying for. And they said, well, we don't want to keep paying for that. And the studio <laughs> said, well, you know, Disneyland said, well, you got to keep paying for that or we're going to have to close it. And they said, OK, close it. And that was yeah. the end of it. But, you know, in a 10 year period, they had 20 million visitors through that house. You know, and and from all accounts from from, you know, Imagineers I've spoken to of the day, uh, it was still a robust attraction that got a lot of foot traffic. It was a free attraction uh, at the park because it was put in back in the day when they had the booklets of tickets, the ABCD and E tickets tickets. so, you know, it, it, this was a free attraction. You didn't have to use any tickets on it. And it always had people going through it. And, you know, you know, all these partner companies were doing research and putting products in. You know, there, there's a, there was a doorbell camera. Uh, that's very much like a ring camera. Yeah, you know, I was about to say a today, ring. Today, yeah, right. Man. But yeah. but they the the idea was if somebody came to the door and you were in the bathroom, you could see on a video phone who was who was at your front door while you were in the bathroom. Hmm. You know, and, and it was just you know very forward thinking you know bell systems introduced the princess phone uh in 1959 in the house of the future and that didn't really come into what is the princess phone the, the princess phone was sort of like a uh, almost like an oval that the 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 receiver sat on top. Oh, of. okay. Yeah, you've you've all seen them. If you saw a yeah. picture of a princess phone, you go, Oh yeah. yeah, I know what that yeah. is. Yeah, you know? I, I watch cartoons. Ex- I know ex- what ex- it is. Except for the kids today, they would they 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 would know what know it from a hole in the wall. It would be like you know, there's no button to put the car window down. What's this crank on the side? You know, you gotta. Uh, <laughs> I know. So anyway, um, but you know, there was a lot of really cool things and. There was a lot of incredible furniture designers whose, uh, furniture pieces were in the house of the future. George Nelson, who was a design director at Herman Miller, um, and the Eames chairs, which a lot of people are familiar with, uh, then they're still being made today. A lot of the furniture pieces that were in the house of the future are still being manufactured today. The swag leg desk, the coconut lounge chair, the, the miniature cabinet, uh, that that's in the uh, family room of the house of the future, you know, yeah. those things are still available on the Herman Miller website. So, yeah. um, you know, I just, I, I, I was just enamored by it all. And, uh, and that's why I wrote the book.
2: And I love it. I can't wait to get
3: it. Oh, you're making me so excited! So
0: excited. We're so we're definitely gonna put a link. Thank you for sharing the code with you know our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Take advantage of that. Too late for
2: uh, me. I already bought it it on Amazon, but it's fine. But
0: you're so you're uh, you know I can't wait for that book. Uh, But you you have mentioned somebody a couple of times throughout the interview tonight. You keep bringing up Roy yes and that's burning question you probably know from the name of our show we're called sharing the magic and the statue of roy in disney world is sharing the magic and that was your first book correct like you wrote about roy
3: yeah it was remembering roy e disney so like what what
0: drew you to roy because like we love walt everybody loves walt we love you know there's those people Mm -hmm. but why was Roy your first book? You know, you've done so many of them
3: recently and you have a lot coming out. What drew you to him? Well, you know something? I first off, I never thought I would be writing books. <laughs> honestly. I, I just now I, I just never thought it was in the cards. And uh, you know, uh Roy had passed away and um I was asked to go to uh Figuers, uh Spain where the Salvador Dali uh, foundation and museum is and and do a presentation on Destino and I had worked on Destino Roy was the executive producer and was nominated for an academy award for completing that film which was a collaboration between Salvador Dali and Walt Disney yeah. and uh and after I was after I went to Spain. I I had to fly to Boston from Spain and meet up with Don Hahn, and we were going to do. We did a presentation at the Museum of Fine Art in Boston uh, on Fantasia, Fantasia 2000, and Destino, and uh, and so when I got into Boston, I got to the hotel. I met up with Don. We sat in. The, it was a boutique hotel, and I, I still to this day never forget the name of the lounge. It was called the Ruby Lounge, and everything was like crushed red velvet. You know, the, <laughs> the booths were were like all red velvet. You know, I, I felt like I was in like you know uh some sort of like the you know a, a whorehouse in Texas or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so Don and I were having a drink, and you know when you talk about Fantasia, Fantasia two thousand, and Destino, you. you you, you uh, will always bring up Roy stories. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling some Roy stories and Roy had just passed away like the year before. And so Don and I, uh, you know, we were reminiscing and I was telling him some funny stories of my travels with Roy and things like that. And at one point, Don said, man, he goes, Dave, you ought to put all of those stories into a book you know and i you know i kind of laughed it off at first but a couple months later i was in my office and i kept revisiting that comment from don in my head and i had a meeting drop out on my calendar and so i had this little bit of free time and i decided to go onto amazon and i bought a book on how to write a book <laughs> and and i'm telling you the truth that's exactly what i did and I, what i gleaned out of that book was you know, you got to come up with a synopsis and write a sample chapter. So I thought, okay, I could come up with a synopsis and then write a sample chapter. And, um, and I did. Uh, And then I went and I, I cold contacted uh, a editor at Disney publishing and, uh, and I was going to be in New York at some point, uh, not, that long afterwards. And the publishing at that time was, was based in New York. And I I said, well, you know, I'm going to be in New York and can we meet up and I'll send you the material first. And so I sent the material and then we met up for lunch uh, when I got to New York and, and she basically said, yeah, you know, we want to do this book. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that that was easy, you know, and uh, and, and so I kind of walked away from that meeting going, "Holy crap, I got to write a book," you know, and uh, and and it was hard, you know, it was it was a hard thing to do, but I did it, and and, and you know, I didn't set out to do a biography of Roy, mm-hmm. I set out to just tell a collection of stories, yeah. that gave people a sense of who he was as a human being, yeah. That he was kind of a grounded individual, like he was a regular person. In fact, in the book, one of my favorite photographs is him eating a hot dog at Costco you know, cause he used Costco. to drive over to Costco and Burbank and shop all the time. You know, I mean, you know, it was the funniest thing. So, um, you know, I got to know him fairly well, uh, you know, from working on uh, Fantasia 2000, which he was executive producer of yeah. uh, to then Destino and then helping him uh, get the true life adventure films out onto DVD and, you know, you know, and you know he and, and we were even working on you know sort of pinning up uh, what we thought uh, a third fantasia would look like. You know, and there was there was a number of pieces already in development, uh, and you know, like I said, that all kind of died on the vine when he passed away. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it, you know, in, in fact, I I plan on rewriting that book, uh, okay. just just because I did that book, I turned into manuscript, and then. I pitched them the idea of doing Dolly and Disney Destino because I was involved with that and I wanted to tell that whole story because it started in 1946 with Dolly and Disney and, and, and then it was finished 58 years later in 2003. So, um, you know, there was a cool story there. So I pitched the idea of doing Dolly and Disney and they said, yep, of course we want to do that. And I was like, wow, you know, this, this writing books <laughs> is easy. You know? I, I mean, but, but it's really not the right because <laughs> you know, the, the writing is all about rejection and, <laughs> you know, and I always I always tell people that, you know, uh, J.K. Rawlings, who wrote the Harry Potter, yes. you know, the first Harry Potter book, she shopped that to every publisher on the planet and they all slammed the door in her face. Yeah, and yeah. she's like scraping the bottom of the barrel going to a scholastic. You know the, the we remember we were all in elementary yeah, school and we get oh, yeah, Scholastic the Scholastic catalog yep. and we pick yeah. out the books we want and yep. like 2 months yeah. later they were delivered to the class <laughs> 2 months later uh, Yeah and we were like wow <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm and, like
2: oh well, I forgot I even <laughs> ordered this thing Yeah
3: and, <laughs> and and so you know she she gives the manuscript over to to Scholastic and the guy who who's going to read it you know he hands a couple of chapters to his daughter and his daughter reads it and goes, oh, I love this. Is there more? Can I read more? And he's like, "Well, no, my daughter likes this. I guess we'll sign J.K. Rawlings, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, Scholastic is publishing like one of the, you know, all time biggest you know book series in the world you know so you know it's the book business is just a very fickle crazy you know uh business that is you know it's so subjective what they publish and what they don't publish and all of that stuff so you know um uh, but i lucked out because i now I, i i turned in a book that was being published i got a contract to do a second book and and then on that second book, I, I really felt like I needed to sort of beef up my writing skills. Mm. And so I enrolled at the UCLA Writers Program, and I went I went at night through the Writers Program uh, over like a three-and-a-half-year period. Uh, I, I got a certificate in creative writing, and I got a certificate in fiction writing. Uh, Through the program, I met a lot of really great people through that program. Uh, And, you know, uh, just I've just continued writing. And I and I do personally feel like my you know, you do something over and over and continue to do it, you get better at it. Hopefully, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh. But you know, I know this from being an artist. The more you draw, the better you get. Yep. You know, the better your eye is uh, in designing things and all of that. And it's the same with writing. The more you write, the better mm-hmm. you're going to get at it. And and so I feel like you know a lot of my books have have you know, built on top of each other and and have improved. And so I I have the goal of going back in and rewriting that Roy book. Um, And adding some new stories and kind of designing it more in the way I want to see it happen. Yeah, I I wasn't thrilled with the way it turned out because it was sort of like a cheap uh, newsprint. Um and with, with the little color section stuck in the middle with the photos. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I want to do something a little bit more than that. Um, although I have to tell you guys, I was at Walt's barn earlier today, uh, <laughs> doing a book signing, and uh and this young guy named Masa, M A S A Masa, Masa Mas- from Japan. Oh, he was visiting from Japan. He had a copy of my Remembering Roy E. Disney book. In Japanese! Oh, no. including my name it's like my name is, I, I couldn't write I go I go is that my name and he says oh yeah that's your name right there you know you wanted and, it signed and, cool. and he wanted me to sign his book but I, 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 in fact on my uh, on my Facebook page I'm going to put that up later or tomorrow oh, have to. I, I'm going to put a picture of me and Masa we're buds yeah. Uh, yeah. and I'm holding his copy of, of, of remembering Roy E in Japanese that's amazing yeah, you yeah even know I know your
2: book was in different uh, languages I know
3: I, I walked <laughs> I walked away from that. And I said to my wife, I go, I'm an internationally published uh, author. She said, great. Now take out the garbage. You know? I, out the- I know a
2: prophet is never accepted in their hometown, you know, as they say.
3: So, so anyway, uh, you know, it, it it's, you know. it it, again it's an evolution of of being an artist you're constantly growing you're constantly learning and that's what i'm doing with all these books and i I, and i'm doing books i want to do that i'm interested in and yeah you know and i have a whole list of books i want to do over the you know i you know the rewrite of the roy e disney book is for 2030 with the 100th anniversary of roy's birth you know so it's like i I, i'm just sort of picking and choosing these projects and going yeah you know i want to redo that and oh i want to do this this and that's great. you know this is kind of a cool thing, and yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of where I am right now from a creative standpoint because I'm just having a ball. And what, and what better person to do that than you? That has well, that I, inside I mean, experience. I'm, I'm, I'm actually sure there's probably better people. I don't. Than me I mean, to do it. maybe, <laughs> but, but not but, really. But I happen to be the guy that's saying, ah, oh, I'm going to do that. You know, there's not
2: many of yeah. you, man. There's not really. Yeah. There's not that many of you. And and the thing is, it's like you you do have this sort of inner uh experience and 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 you writing these books are super great for us people like us that are you know we're we're on the outside we're not we're all not Disney right. you know we're not working for Disney but gosh gorsh gorsh darn it we'd we'd love these stories we'd love yeah. these stories and and i you know i've if i had a dollar for every time i've said this on a podcast story shapes life and when we hear the stories of you and when you go to you know you 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 write these these books And and you know, we read them. It shapes our own lives. And it shapes and and then we get on this podcast and we we talk about these stories and your story. And then our listeners hear your story and and all the stories of Disney. And guess what? It shapes all of our lives in a way that I think is just profound. Very, so, very and,
3: profound. And, and I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I I what I think is is that we're all inspired by all these great things. Yeah. You know, I mean just yeah. you know, just going down to Disneyland last week and just walking down Main Street. And I, I didn't go on any attractions. I was just meeting somebody for, for lunch yeah. and uh and hanging out with them and and, and we kind of went and looked at the remnants of the House of the Future over by Pixie Hollow. And, and, you know, I, I was, I, I'm just inspired just walking around the park, not, not only by all of the stuff that's there and the things to do, but also by all the people that are there, there and, and there how go. all that stuff touches their lives, yeah. you know, and that, yeah. and that to me, you know, is really what you're going to be remembered for, like any of the movies that I worked on with all of the hundreds of other talented artists, you know, we know that those movies have resonated with people, have changed people's lives, have touched them in a way that, you know, uh, is profound. Yeah. And, and, you know, for us, nobody's going to care which scene you worked on or, You know, nobody's going to care if if you, you know, uh, were late turning in a scene, you know, or you went over budget a few dollars, you know, because (laughs) none of that stuff matters, you know, once the movies out in the world, because it resonates and and affects people in such an incredible way worldwide in the in the you know the dozen i think it's now 54 56 languages that they dub these films into it's a global phenomenon everybody has a disney story and just to have been part of it for for you know a, a period of time it you know i feel honored about it and i know many of my colleagues feel the same way but, uh, you know, like I said, you keep looking forward and you keep trying to improve and do more yeah. things and tell the yeah. stories. And we and we feel honored having you on. This said podcast. Yeah. You know. Well, I I appreciate you guys having me on, and I'm going to give a couple of plugs because I'm going to say don't <laughs> yeah. d- honestly don't do what Jeff did. Don't buy don't buy a House of the Future. on Well, you could do it on Amazon. But, don't ever uh, do what Jeff but, does. That's but, but, not but, every, but all our no, viewers, but but if you want to get downhill. No yeah, if you want to get House of the Future, go to the com. use the code friend5, you're going to save 5 bucks, you're going to get free shipping, uh and you're getting an autograph copy cuz I signed a pile of copies for them. And uh and then uh the Nightmare Before Christmas visual companion, uh it's available through all of the online retailers, um, and and I will tell you it is going like wildfire because on Friday night at the El Capitan, which is owned by Disney and has a little store next to it, uh, I, I did a book signing. They sold out of all the books that they had in the yeah. store, right? right. I, uh, last Thursday, I went down to Disneyland. I went to the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas uh, merchandise shop in New Orleans Square. They were sold out of the book. Oh wow! All right, Dave, which so I is crazy. Kick you off
0: the podcast so I can go order this. Right yeah,
3: now. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I know in some instances it's back ordered, but I would just encourage you. And and by the way, if you buy the book on Amazon, please do a review after you get it. Uh, yes. Jeff House of the Future it releases Tuesday, Tuesday uh, October sixteenth. Uh, is the official release date to yeah. the public when you get the book do it do a review and i would encourage all your listeners if you order these books and if you order them online through any of the on- online retailers especially amazon please give it a review if you can and, and you're gonna i look
2: i hope you look forward to my review because not only i won't put this in the review not only do you have one of the best backgrounds or one of the best backgrounds I've ever seen <laughs> of of any guests we've had but I bet mean, I can just think your book's gonna be phenomenal and I I, I can't to uh, can't wait to 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 read it um and,
3: and then one other thing I was gonna mention the guys is Ed lady uh I uh, do want you to know that you can go to com. that's my okay. website there's um uh, all my books are listed there's links to where you can get my books. Uh, but there's also a tab along the top called free stuff. Yeah. And if you click on that, there's a pull down menu and there's book plates, bookmarks and coasters. Yeah. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you just have to send me a stamp self-addressed envelope and yeah. tell me what you want. And I will send you that stuff back. So okay. if somebody lives in, you know, Michigan or Maine yeah. or down in Florida, and they want an autographed uh, book plate for their house of the future, or they want it for uh, nightmare before Christmas, um, you know, just send me a self-addressed stamped envelope. I'll sign the book plate and send it to you. And, and it's a cool book plate because it, it's themed to The Nightmare Before Christmas. Got a little okay. Jack Skellington on the side of it. Okay. And I'll sign Ooh. that. You peel the back off when you get it and you stick it inside your book and you got a signed copy. Right. <laughs> and then with the with the House of the Future book, if you order it from the Old dot com, use the friend five code to save five dollars, you get free shipping. The book's going to show up with an autograph in it already. So there you have it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to it. say. I'm giving, the, I'm giving the farm away. Yeah, I, I was going to say, how do you even, how do you even pay your rent, man?
1: <laughs> uh, there goes, there, there, there's all, 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 yeah. There goes yeah. all your Christmas plans is right there. <laughs>
2: all right, before we go, I got to make sure Lindsay. You know, Lindsay's been such a sweetheart all night, You're all sitting there in the dark. I just, yeah. Dave, do you mind answering one more question?
3: Yeah, I, I'm going to do it, but I want to show you this. Yeah, See this. Yes, yes, yes. That's, oh, that's the House so cool. of the Future. No, it's only available through the theoldmillpress.com. That so, if <laughs> that, if
2: you're our listeners, that is a pop-up book.
3: Yeah, that, and you it folds flat, so you can put this into the book. Oh my God, for safekeeping. But I also want to point out it's. It's numbered. Uh, there's only hmm. 500 of those. <sighs> this, this is a proof, so it's not numbered, but there's only 500 <laughs> of these. They're only available at the old mill So oh, I just man. wanted to, to just show you that because I think it's such a that fun. Awesome. Oh yeah. And if, you know? if
2: you're just listening, like you, you've just got it, you've got to get this thing because yeah.
3: yeah. it looks this and, is like and voodoo and, magic, right? Yeah, now. and it falls flat. Okay, I'm sorry. So Lindsay no, Li- no, Li- no, has no. a question. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay has a question. Let's get Lindsay on. Come on. Yes.
1: So Dave, I have a question. Yeah. If you could give advice to someone to stand out in business and in life, what would you say?
3: Uh never say no. And I'll mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. Um, so early on in my career, I got to work with a really great guy, John uh John Emerson really talented at the time he was at the company for like I think 45 years Mm -hmm. uh so he was kind of like at the end of his career when I was at the beginning of mine and I I asked him once I said John what do you what do you attribute the longevity to uh you know working here and he said to me he goes wow I always said yes (laughs) I go well what do you mean he said anytime somebody came into my office and said, "John, can you do blah blah blah?" He said, "I would just say, yeah." And he goes, "And then when they left the you know when they left my office, I'd go, "Holy crap, I don't know how to do that. I got to go figure that out." And he went and fi- <laughs> and he went and figured it out. Right? And and so for me, you know, my whole my whole career after that was one of, "Yeah, let's do it and we'll go figure it out even if we didn't know how to do it. We we went and figured it out." and it always worked out because you were motivated to to do it and to learn something new and to figure out how to do something and and that's how i got into writing books that's how i headed special projects I, you know, when, 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 uh, I finished Fantasia 2000, there really wasn't anything that I really wanted to go on to as far as the next film. And the president of the division, Tom Schumacher at the time, uh, said, Hey, you know, we got this request to do this. Can you handle it? And I said, sure. And I went and figured out how to do it. And then he gave me another project and it was (laughs) another thing I had never done before. And I figured out how to do it. And I did. and, and and before you knew it, it kind of constituted into a special projects unit, I ultimately was managing like 18 people in the unit and we were doing projects for the company all over the world. And so, you know, for me, it's, it, it's really about putting your fear aside. You know, there, there's so many people over the years who I've gone in and said, Hey, you know, I'd really like you to work on such and such. And they sat there and oh, I, I don't think I can do that. I don't know how to do that. You know? And, and, and they, they were just down on themselves. And, and I think, You really have to be uh, you you, you have to believe in yourself first, because if you don't, no one else is going to, you know, and you have to sit there and say, okay, I don't know how to do something. And I'm not afraid to say I'll help you do it or I will do it, but I'm going to learn how to do it, you know, or I'm going to ask questions or whatever it is. But you go off and you do it, you know. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you're going to write programming for, you know, a rocket and, you know, somebody comes in and says, hey, can you do? Oh, yeah, I can write that. Gee, I only did like gaming code, but I guess I'll try and do it for this rocket to Mars. But you know what I'm saying? It's like things that, you know, at work. Or whatever, You know, if somebody comes along and says, hey, can you do this? And you go, well, I haven't done it before, but I'm willing to try. Or, right. I, you know, if you can give right. me a little direction, I can do that, you yeah. know, as opposed to recoiling and saying, oh, I've never done that before. No, I shouldn't yes. be the person to do it. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, I think there's, the, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, sort of learning on the job. I, I refer to it as the John Wayne School of Swimming. You take the kid who doesn't know how to swim and you throw him in the deep end and he's yeah. going to learn how to swim really fast. Fast, yeah. you, know? Yeah. So, you know so i guess i i that's guess it. that's it's kind of my advice uh um uh, to to the folks out there is that good Lindsay? that's amazing
2: <laughs> it is amazing <laughs> and that's a wonderful place to like wrap it up because i think because that to be lindsey Lindsay with the with the win with that question because i think Thanks, that Jeff. was just question. that was and such a great answer that's what i would say
3: it was a good question, Lindsay. Thank you for bringing sanity to this podcast. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: With that, we'll, Barry, take us home. <laughs> well, hang on one
0: sec. So, Dave, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. you also have a, a podcast, right? You wanna, you wanna? Oh yeah,
2: um, you know
3: something, really guys. Yeah, and I, I'm going to give you guys a shout out as well. But, um, uh, you know, a funny, quick story about that. Uh, in in the summer of 2020, at the height of the pandemic, I was uh I was doing the circuit with my 3D Disneyland book. Uh, and you know, I, and and I, you couldn't have planned it better. My tagline was "3D Disneyland," where the park is always open, and this is when <laughs> all the parks were closed. You know. <laughs> so a- anyway, um, I, like I I I did Al John's Disney List podcast. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we just hit it off. Like we really clicked and, uh, and I sent him a nice email afterwards saying, Hey, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed myself. Cause I did, I really enjoyed myself on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he wrote back, he said, man, he goes, it was a blast. Thanks for coming on. You should do your own podcast. And then I wrote back to him and I said, Hey, thanks. I've had a lot of people at you know, tell me I should do a podcast and I said, but if I did one, I would do it with you. And then and I was just kind of being flip about it. And yeah. he wrote back. He says, man, if you're serious, he goes, I will do a podcast with you. And that's how the Skull Rock podcast was, uh, you know, came about. And that was August of 2020. And we did our first show uh, the first week of October of 2020. So this month is our is our three years that we've been doing wow. the show. Oh, congratulations! You know? Yeah, oh, and 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 we've had such great guests. And you know, Al John is is the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. <laughs> Not only does he have a great FM radio voice, and he's a music guy and everything, nice. but you know, he's the one that does all the you know putting it up on all the podcast platforms. Oh yeah, and that's, that's cut tough. It. and he does the cutting and you know cuts the show together and everything. And and I'm mm-hmm. I'm just I'm riding his coattails. I I just I just book guests and you know and have. fun talking with them every week so uh but it, it's it's really a uh a fun podcast and it's kind of an oral history of animation and uh mm-hmm. imagineering and stuff like that so oh my gosh i'm hooked so uh, the skullrockpodcast.com uh well Skull Rock Podcast, you can find it on any of the platforms apple okay. spotify yeah audible there. amazon you if you got if you got one of those devices like i have in my office so i'm not going to use her name uh you know you use you can her literally name just
2: put a tinfoil hat and yeah, it'll yeah. Just come you, to your you brain use
3: her name and you just ask for the latest <laughs> uh, latest episode of skull rock podcast and, and she'll, play, she'll play it you know so cool. anyway i do thank you guys for being uh, for having oh, me on your our show. pleasure really appreciate yeah, it thank you yeah, yeah it, our it's pleasure nice to have it's there. a
1: skull rock podcast it comes after sharing the magic
3: podcast in alphabetical <laughs> order. Just That's right. A- absolutely. Oh, yeah. Rock. yeah. 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 So. <laughs> it's a supplement to the sharing of the magic. <laughs> right. Part, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I've listened to L John uh, with his other podcasts, like uh, years ago when he used to do it on, um, um, he, he's just, his voice is just so uh silky smooth that's
3: just isn't it? I you <laughs> yeah. know, it's it's fantastic, it really uh, is. And and by the way, he did the Disney List podcast. And he does uh with his wife Kristen and a guy named Bubba, and I'm not making that up. Um they do dining at Disney all about the food at the parks. So I never met a Bubba I didn't like. A, sh- a shameless plug for dining at Disney. There
1: you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. all right. See, yeah, see, yeah. I won't do a, I won't do a podcast without Jeff or Matt. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> what about Lindsay? Or Lindsay? We, okay. we're, we're all in this together. All right. We're, well, we're, listen, guys, and Lindsay, uh, I had a fantastic time uh being on Share the Magic. Thank you very much uh, yes, for inviting me love. on. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I hope you put all the links in your show notes for everybody. Oh, and, we will. We will. Uh, and, and uh just all your listeners, use the friend five code at the old dot com. Uh don't be like Jeff.
0: <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> that is my best advice of the night. Anyway, <laughs> <Don't laughs> thanks,
3: guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yes,
2: sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: We yes, much yes, thank you all for tuning into another incredible episode of sharing the magic. As always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes and tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at sharing the magic pod. And until next time, keep sharing the magic.